Thank you for joining the I Am Not a Victim podcast. Today, I am so grateful to be joined by Talia Delju. She is a life coach, and today we're going to discuss everything when it comes to inner child work and healing your inner child, discovering your purpose, and embracing rejection if you have an abandonment wound, abandonment wound and so much more. Talia, can you please introduce yourself to our audience tonight? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Lauren, for that beautiful introduction. I'm so happy to be here. So happy that this is finally happening after weeks of emailing back and forth. Um, So yes, I am a life coach. This is my life's work. I have been in this space for 10 years now, and I am every day gifted with the opportunity to connect with people and to help them see their life through a bit of a different lens. I love the title of your podcast, Lauren. I'm not a victim. I think so much of what I see is people feeling like they are, like life is happening to them. Um, and, and so much of this work, as we'll talk about with inner child work is understanding, you know, where does that come from, right? Where are these core beliefs rooted and how do we actually go inside and do the deep work of uprooting these beliefs and healing the the parts of us that very much do think certain things are true that maybe aren't necessarily true. So I'll stop there because otherwise I'd be talking for an hour just at the get-go here, but (laughs) um, I'm, yeah, excited to talk all things, uh, you know, when it comes to understanding our inside, right? Like, understanding who's a part of our internal system and the voices inside of us and these different parts of us that have hopes and dreams and fears and doubts and really learning kind of how to make meaning of it and how to make sense of ourselves so that we can make sure we're showing up and and making choices from an authentic and truthful and honest place. Oh, that's so beautiful. I feel like we could talk for an hour just on what you said alone. I know. Yeah, it's so much. True. It's so true, Talia. I, I have to tell you, the other day, um, I was think I was doing some journaling work, and it dawned upon me that potentially my whole life I've been living someone else's story, and that everything that anyone's ever said about me in the seventh grade, in in fifth grade, in tenth grade, is a lie. And I think that we carry those things around, and we believe in our thirties, our forties, our twenties wow, I'm worthless. Wow, I'm, I'm I'm ugly. I'm unlovable. And these things were given to us by other people. And I said, what if I just let all that go and made a brand new story for myself? What would my life be? And wow. I love that. It sounds like that aligns with your message as well. Oh, when I have chills just hearing you say that. I mean, how empowering and liberating to recognize that you get to choose the story that you tell. And also that these things that I've come to believe aren't necessarily truths, right? They're just beliefs and they come from somewhere. And I, at one point thought they were true and maybe a part of me still thinks it is. And it doesn't have to be that way for the rest of my life. It's, it's, it's so crazy to me how most of us live so much of our lives, believing these things without even knowing Mm -hmm right? Like it's just so a part of who we are and it's just the way we operate. It's the way we think it's the thoughts we have. And, and it does take a willingness to pause and step back and be like, hold on, (laughs) let's just evaluate. Let's just notice 
let's just see what it sounds like and feels like to tell myself these things and if they're serving and how they're serving and how they're maybe not serving and, and what I want to do with it moving forward. Do I want to keep it in my backpack or is it, you know, is it 10 extra pounds that's weighing me down that I don't have to carry into the next chapter of my life with me anymore, but also who am I without it? So true. That's so true. We form so much of our identity around these beliefs that were given to us often at an early age. And then we carry that with us. And it's scary to disidentify with something where it's like being told, I don't know, at 57, the sky's not blue. And you're just like, what? The sky's yeah. not blue. I, my whole life, I believe that to be true. Right. right. Yeah. It's threatening because we, we do pretty much define ourselves by those types of things and these beliefs and it becomes who we are and it becomes what we're used to. And it becomes our baseline and our default and our program and our just way of being and moving through the world. And so for someone to come in and say, Hey, you want to look at it? It's like, look at what, this is just this what do you mean? Right. And, and it can, yeah, feel very threatening to our sense of identity, but it's mostly just because it's all that we know. And so with it comes control, with it comes safety, familiarity, comfort, all the things that we really like. And so that's the real work, right? It's, it's, are you willing to see that there might be another way that's even more better feeling right and and maybe not as familiar yet but can we try can we see how it feels can we loosen our grip just a little bit and there is that like the visual that I have is the trapeze swinger where it's like you have to let go before you can even like see what's there for you to hold on to but there is a a period whether it's like a second or three seconds or years not literally in the trapeze sense, but like, and it's like, there is a period where you're kind of like suspended in midair and you don't, you're in the in-between, you're not holding on to what once was, but you're also not quite fully planted with both feet on the ground on the other side yet. And that's where I catch a lot of people like literally and figuratively it's in that in-between where they're like, whoa, 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 this feels like inner turmoil. And I kind of want to go back, but I also know that's not good for me. And I, but I also don't know what's there. And that's really uncertain and really scary and help me navigate this, please. (laughs) Oh, completely. I I think it's so funny. We're talking about this. A lot of what I talk about on my show is relationships. And I'm actually reading a really beautiful book. I would suggest called Existential Kink. Have you ever heard of it? It Um, is it is, it's talking essentially about what we're discussing today. It's a beautiful read and she talks, it's a shadow workbook and she talks a lot about where we kind of, in like sexy terms, get off on our dramas and, and our stories and, and our suffering. And it's like, it's I like it. yes, exactly, exactly. And it's in examining myself for an example that I think so many people can relate to. If you find yourself in an unhealthy relationship and then another dysfunctional relationship, and then another toxic relationship, I I had to question like, which part of this does my subconscious feel clinging to? What part of this feels safe? What part of this feels familiar? What part of this feels comfortable? Even though I tell myself, oh, I want a healthy, happy, whole relationship. But deep down, if I keep manifesting it, what part of me is actually seeking uh, out? Yes. yes. And what a beautiful 
I mean, to be willing to say, Hey, I'm also playing an active part in this mm-hmm. to be able to take ownership, to be able to take some personal responsibility is everything. Yeah. Right. That takes you, that's like, that's the first step of not being the victim anymore and being like, actually, I'm a creator in this as well. And I don't have to, and maybe the tricky part, and you can probably speak into this too, is like, I think often what can happen is when we realize that we're also a part of making it happen is when a lot of the shame and the like, oh shit, like judging of self and why do I do this to myself? And like, maybe not feeling like the victim to what's happening, but almost like victim in a different way. Like I'm the victim, but I'm also the villain. (laughs) As self-blame. Yeah. The guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of courage and and honesty to be able to look in the mirror and say, what part of me asked for this? What part of me chose this? Mm -hmm. What part of me still kind of wants this? What part of me feels to you, to use your word safe in this. And that's where, again, like the, the real examination begins. Mm -hmm. The personal Mm -hmm. accountability. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Talia, I want to backtrack because (laughs) I love jumping into this stuff, but I didn't even talk about what brought you to your own inner child healing work. What brought you into becoming a coach for helping people that are going through this? Can you share a little bit about what led you down this path? Yeah, for sure. So what led me down this path, there's so many ways to answer this question. I could talk like (laughs) practical, like I went to school and then I did this. I could talk spiritual, like life path, life purpose. Like this is what I'm here to do kind of thing. Um, For me, my story is usually one that begins with my relationship to my mom and just kind of witnessing her navigate life's in-betweens and watching her struggle with identity and worth and self-definition and contribution and purpose. And it just filled my head with a million questions, you know, questions like what shapes our identity? What gives us a sense of purpose? Where, where does meaning come from? Like a lot of questions that positive psychology very much like in a scientific way answers and explores. And, and so, you know, I think I, I, I always knew this is what I was going to do. Like I'm one of the rare people that kind of just knew and yeah. did it and has, it's the only thing I've ever done, you know? And um, I'm so fortunate in, in the sense of having been able to pursue the thing that I really love from the beginning. And um, so a lot of it was shaped by, again, that relationship for me and, just following the curiosity as like cliche or abstract as that is, I was just very in touch with my thoughts and my questions. And and I needed to find answers to the questions that kept me up at night. And that's what led me into, you know, my studies in graduate school and the inner child work in particular actually came a lot more recently. Uh, My work up until recently was very much focused on kind of self-discovery, self-examination, career exploration, helping people kind of figure out what's next in their life, on their life path. Um, And it was a lot of mindset work, right? Like, how do we change the thoughts? How do we change the beliefs? How do we start finding evidence that you are worthy and that you are lovable? And it wasn't until I fell upon inner child work that I was like, oh, this is so much deeper. Like this is so much bigger than like 
okay, give me 10 reasons why you're not worthy. Give me 10 reasons why you are worthy. And like, which one feels better, right? Like, and, and that's not to knock on mindset work and mindset coaching. It's still a big part of what I do, but often again, it's like, if I'm sitting here repeating these mantras and these affirmations and trying to convince myself to think differently while there's still this very young, tender, vulnerable part of me that believes it to be true in her core, it just feels like I'm lying to myself. Sure. Right. So the inner child work for me, actually, I kind of was led into it through studying IFS, so internal family systems, um, took a course in that. And I'm continuing to just like any training that the IFS Institute does, I'm in it and I'm signed up and I'm reading and I'm just so in it. Um, because it really does feel like the missing piece for a lot of people and for myself included. And so for me, when I, when I kind of, my world opened up to inner child work, I think the biggest thing initially for me was like, wait a second, I, I didn't have trauma, like in my, you know, like I had a great childhood. I what I was safe. I had food on the table. I had loving parents. I, you know, and so a part of me was like, isn't this, isn't this just like stuff that you do when you have trauma and really difficult, painful childhoods. And yes, that is very much the case, but also anyone and everyone, (laughs) like everyone and anyone has a certain need that went unmet in your early life. And when that need goes unmet, and I'm so curious on your thoughts, knowing that you're in, you know, deep in your studies with this as well. Like when a certain need goes unmet at that stage in life, because we either don't have the words to kind of communicate what our needs are, or no one's telling us otherwise, or we're just kind of like trying to make meaning of the world around us. We make up reasons for why certain things happen. So the example being, you know, it's like my, my mom would always say, just put a, you know, put a smile on, right? Just smile, right? Everything's okay. Just put a smile on. My tiny little brain made that mean I, I am not safe to feel what I want to feel. Like I can't negative emotions, not on the table. I can't show what I'm feeling. I can't talk about what I'm feeling. I can only be happy and I can only have a smile on if I want to be accepted and loved and whatever. And that then carried through into my adult life where I just, I I never really allowed myself to fully experience the full range of my feelings. Mm -hmm. And I, the need ultimately was for emotional safety and emotional validation. And I never really connected those dots. I mean, I had a sense, but it wasn't until the inner child work where I was like, oh, there is still a very real part of me that's the minute I feel anything, it's like, you shouldn't feel that. Don't feel that way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now I I get into the practice every morning. I write to my, all the different parts of me, my inner child, my inner critic, my inner champion, my inner people pleaser. Like I've all, you know, we've all got these different parts and every morning I write to them and I say, Hey guys, (laughs) like, how are we doing today? Is there anything you need from me? I noticed yesterday, some of you were in a really bad mood and that's totally fine with me. Hmm. If you want to be in a bad mood again today, have at it. I love you regardless. I don't need you to put a smile on for me. And every day there's a conversation that I have internally. And so much of it, practically speaking, is 
it is that internal dialogue. It's how do I talk to myself when I'm feeling sad or mad or whatever it is? Do I neglect and abandon and silence and dismiss myself? Or do I step in as the parent that I wish I had then and say, I'm noticing that you're feeling kind of sad today. It makes sense to me. Today was hard, Mm. right? And it's like literally talking to myself as if I'm a child, because it is that part of me that needs me in that moment. I don't even remember your question. I just went off. <laughs> I, but, that. I don't remember it either. <laughs> uh, that's so powerful. Uh, yeah. So that's kind of how I fell into it. And, and it just, I finally feel like I'm in a place in my work where I'm like, I'm here to stay in this space. Like, I think I've, my work's continued to evolve and grow and change as I've evolved, but this is the first time where I've really felt like my mission and my purpose is to share resources about inner child work in a way that's not necessarily tied to trauma, right? It's just mm-hmm. about emotional well-being and tuning into your needs and everybody can benefit from that. So I like to um, kind of bust the myths around it a little bit and make it a little bit more easily um, relatable to people who might not otherwise tap into it as a resource. Oh, that's so important and so powerful because like you said, we can often say, oh, well, I had a roof over my head. I had food. I had, and you continue that cycle of invalidation. You still deserve to heal. You still deserve to be heard and seen and feel comforted. So I'm so happy that you're creating that space. Thank you. And I love what you just said there, because I do think a lot of it is like, we. I don't know if it, I think it's called comparative suffering where it's like. Well, it wasn't as bad as that, you know, could have been worse. And that's just to your point, like we continue to invalidate ourselves and our experiences and our needs because, well, they're not as important as theirs, or it's not as, it wasn't as bad as that, or it wasn't as traumatic as that. And it's like, yeah, but both like your pain was still your pain, right? If your trauma, little T trauma, if that, if your trauma was, my mom never asked me how I was feeling. That was my, that's my experience. Right. And, and yeah, I think we are very quick to dismiss it and downplay it and compare it to other people in a way that just keeps us in a place of um, either just like avoidance or denial or my needs don't matter. Yeah. Someone has it worse. My therapist made an analogy once years ago that I still remember. She said, if someone drowns under six feet of water, it's still the same as someone drowning under three feet of water. They both drown. Do they compare? Oh, well, this person was three feet lower than me. So they drown worse. No, it's mm-hmm. still, it's like, you know, your. I think it comes back to feeling like our needs don't matter and your needs yep. do matter no matter what they are. Yep. And for me, again, like that belief was my feelings don't matter. Mm -hmm. Right. So it took, yeah, it took a a lot of work to be willing to see that they do and to love myself through it and to hold space for not just myself, but obviously for the people who come to me every day too. Right. Um, But I'm as much in it as, you know, I I can only take people as far as I'm willing to go myself. That's what I always say. And I'm sure you feel the same way. 100%. (laughs) 100%. So Talia, can you tell our listeners if they're wondering, oh, do I have inner child 
healing that I should be doing? What are some signs of an unhealed inner child in adulthood? Maybe how that manifests and how we feel about ourselves or how it shows up in our relationships? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good question. Such a big question. Cause there's so many signs. <laughs> like so many signs. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I literally remember, remember like a month ago sitting down and writing about a hundred different, like a hundred different signs, like <laughs> like the, in the left-hand column, signs of an unhealed inner child on the, on the right-hand column, signs of a healed inner child. And so I, I think about this constantly and my simplest way of answering this question is to start like the, the voice of your inner child is the voice that shows up in times when I don't know if I want to answer it this way because this feels abstract I was just going to say like when a need isn't met again but that's not necessarily the answer I want to give here um and I think I'm I'm challenged by this question because it can show up in so many different ways and it looks so yeah. different for every person um so maybe I'll give I'll give some examples that sure. might help illustrate um I think high level, what I'll say is, you know, people pleasing patterns, perfectionist patterns, thought patterns tied to I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I don't matter. Needs don't matter. Like that's all inner child stuff. Yeah. Um, the voice of your inner critic can often be tied to inner child, the voice of your, um, and also like, you know, often with clients, I'll, I'll have them kind of just like think out loud, tell me what these ongoing repeated recycled thoughts are, you know, that you kind of don't even think about, but just yeah. tend to occupy your headspace. And I'll, and I'll often ask like, whose voice is that? And it's usually like, yeah, that's my mom or yep, that's my grandma or like, oh, that's, you know, so-and-so, or that was my teacher. You know, it's like, we, there are also these just internalized parts and these voices of other people that become our own. Mm -hmm. Um, but the example I'll give, and this is an interesting one because it's related to imposter phenomenon, which there are a lot of different kind of perspectives. I think generally we think of imposter phenomenon as, you know, you feel like a fraud, you feel like you're faking it. You feel like you're pretending and everyone's going to find out that you're not good enough or qualified to be doing what you're doing. And, you know, again, like on a mindset level, there are certain things that can be done with that, but how it was specifically manifesting in adult life for a client of mine was, um, she's actually wanting to become a coach. And so we're doing some mentorship and some coaching training together. And, and she just kept saying this thing over and over again. And that to me is like the first like flag is what have I, like, what's been a repeated recurring pattern? Like, what does this person keep saying or keep defaulting to, or keep coming back to whether it's, it's my fault or I just can't or whatever it is. And so for her, it was, I just feel like someone's going to find out that I don't know what I'm doing. And it kept coming up and it kept coming up and it kept coming up. And I was like, there's something here, right? This isn't just imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon in the way we know it. Tell me about a time when you felt like you had to pretend. And within seconds, she was like, I was in elementary school. I was in reading class and my vision, I was starting to need glasses, but nobody knew. And I thought something was wrong with me. 
And whenever the teacher would come around and we would have to take turns reading out loud because I couldn't see what was on the page, I had to make it up. And I had to pretend like I knew what I was doing, but obviously everybody knew that I was pretending because I was reading, but I was making it up. (laughs) Right. And, and in that moment, again, like the embarrassment and the shame and the, oh my God, is something wrong with me? Like, what am I missing? Am I missing something? Am I going to be left behind? Are my parents going to be mad at me? Like, is this something that like I can fix or is, am I broken? And is this right? And it's like this internally is what's going on. Nobody knows. Teacher doesn't know. Parents don't know. Eventually, yes, they take her and she gets glasses and everything's fine. But that part of her is frozen in that classroom, Mm -hmm. right? And anytime she's doing something scary, doing something new, that voice comes up and is like, everyone's going to know we're pretending. We don't know what we're doing. They're going to, you know, this is going to be going to be so embarrassing if somebody finds out that you're dot, dot, dot. Right. So, you know, and I have hundreds of examples of, of kind of situations that I've held people in and walked them through and connected the dots between um, you know, the other one that comes to mind is interestingly enough, they were both in classroom settings, which I think is also interesting because it's, it goes to show again, that it might have nothing to do with your parents or how they treated you. Um, it could be a, a moment in a classroom, right? Um, the other story or the, the sign, the symptom for this other client of mine was, um, he was in his job search and he was, lying to everybody about his situation and he didn't want anybody to know that he was actually like really struggling and didn't have a job and and didn't feel confident and even applying to jobs and but he didn't feel like anybody could know and through you know our process of accessing his parts and his inner child we came to this time when again he was in school elementary school and he was told that he needed like additional learning support there was he was told that he was a slow learner and no one really explained that to him and so again the internal dialogue becomes something's wrong with you you're different everyone's faster quicker smarter so there was that piece of it and every time he would get a test back in class with a bad grade he would crumble up the piece of paper, throw it in his backpack and out of embarrassment. So no one saw it would lie about what, how, how he did on his test. And he was like the charismatic jokester in class. So everybody loved him. Like nobody knew what he was actually hiding on the inside. Yeah. And again, like the connection is once you make, once you connect those dots, it's like, oh my gosh, of course, like, of course, this is how you're feeling right now. Of course, this makes so much sense. But in our adulthood, I think we don't, we don't have the tools or the awareness often to really like regard ourselves and our experiences with that same kind of compassion and curiosity to, to go inside and really like, look at what's going on. Uh, did that answer your question at all? Yes, that that was a beautiful, beautiful um, way of explaining it. I feel like so many people can relate to that. It's like we have this neurological loop yes. once that that seed is planted, and then you know 
a classroom in, in kindergarten, I was yelled at by my teacher, oh, I'm bad, because children think in extremes and absolutes. My yep. teacher yelled at me, therefore, I am bad. Uh, yep. In seventh grade, I was called a loser, therefore, I'm unwanted, I'm rejected, and it carries over. And yep. I'm really intrigued to hear about um, I wanted to talk about childhood abandonment wounds. And again, this doesn't necessarily have to be familial, but it could be uh, divorced or death of a parent or adoption or moving a lot constantly. And how do, when you feel rejected as a child, if that's not resolved and you're not told by your parents and shown that you're lovable, that you're wanted, that you're special, so many of us are walking around as adults thinking that we ain't shit, to put it in lightly. So how do we, okay, we know that this happened in childhood. We know that when we were told that we were a slow learner, now we feel like we're a fake or a phony. How do we kind of start to rewire that and unlearn that pattern? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll answer this a little bit more like procedurally, like here are the, here are the steps. Um, so the first step is to be able to kind of like narrow in and zero in on the belief itself. Okay. So the belief that keeps coming up is that I'm, let's use this example, right? So the belief that you're bringing up is I'm, is it I'm unworthy or is it I'm alone or no one loves me? What's the one we want to work with? Let's go with I'm unlovable. I'm unlovable. Yeah. So the first piece of it is to, and a lot of this is visual um, and is somewhat like meditative in a way, but the first part of the process that I walk clients through is to bring into your mind this part of you that feels unlovable. And it might take a few moments to understand like, okay, is this my 10-year-old self? Is this my three-year-old self? Is this like if I were to just like call this part of me forward, what do I see? And there's no wrong answer, right? A lot of this is just staying in that curiosity. What do you see? What do you notice? And so once we have contact, we call it contact with this part, it's then beginning to have compassionate inquiry with this part, right? Like, tell me, what is it that you're feeling? What is it that you're thinking? Where do you see them? Where are they? And Again, so much of this is like case by case. It really just depends on who I'm speaking to and where I feel like we naturally need to go. But a part of it is accessing and contacting and visualizing this part of you. Um, And then the second and probably most important, not probably the most important part in the process when we do meet these parts of us in visualization and meditation through this process is to show them and let them feel from us and hear from us that we are not there to judge them. We are not there to fix them. We are not there to shame them. We are not there to uh, solve a problem. We're just there to be with them. We're there to get to know them. We're there to understand them. We're there so that they're not wherever they are alone anymore. And, And just even in that, right, this unlovable part, this part that was rejected or continues to be rejected gets to in this moment however real or not gets to experience somebody next to it saying i'm here you got all the time in the world no pushing no forcing no judging whatever you need to tell me whatever you want me to know i'm here with you now 
And again, in that moment, it's, it's okay, then I'm not alone anymore. There's somebody here, right? And there's a beautiful kind of exchange that happens there energetically. Um, and then from that point forward, it's, it's a little bit more of the, what do you need me to know? What do you wish somebody understood? Um, and, and sometimes it is, can you show me what happened, right? Depending on, on the situation, is there a specific memory, a specific moment in time? Um, an example I'll bring up here, another client of mine, his, his wound, his childhood wound was manifesting in adult life as always feeling like he needed a plan B mm-hmm. to the point where like he would book a flight home and then he would book like 10 outbound flights just in case he would have a sure. uncomfortable conversation or things would go south and he would like feel like he had to escape. He always need, needed an escape route, right? And I know I'm getting off track with the unlovable example here, but this helps me talk it through because it's actually like a real life example. Um, so for him, it was needing the plan B, needing the escape route and seeing this child version of him in the hallways of his school. And this inner child starts showing him through kind of this practice and the space that we're holding together that he's really scared and he's in these hallways and he doesn't know which way to go. And so much of this is actually just allowing space for your inner child to talk to you, which I know can sound maybe like, it's like, well, am I just thinking these things or is it like, am I (laughs) sensing it from this part? So it's a little hard to explain maybe for that reason as well, but um, there's so much wisdom if we just allow space for these parts of us to speak to us, you know? So his part, what we came to to see and what we came to notice was that he, in elementary school, middle school, he would literally have to plan, like when based on what classroom he was leaving, he would have to plan which hallway was the safest for him to go down to avoid the bullies in school, okay. right? He was in a very conservative um kind of faith-based community and he was gay and he was struggling with his, you know, identity and, and sexuality. And he was threatened. Like his safety was literally threatened every day by these bullies. And so he, his system, his nervous system, his operating system, all of this, like it, it, he became wired to have an escape route, right. To have, a plan B. I have to figure out which way is the safest way. I got to find my way out whenever I need it. And so what we did with his inner child was this beautiful process of what we call retrieval, where we ask if they want to be taken somewhere else. And we kind of visualize whatever it is they're carrying, whether it's the backpack with the beliefs or the fear of visualizing that kind of transforming, alchemizing, going away in some way and bringing them into present day life or taking them to a beach or taking them to Chuck E. Cheese or taking them to like go get ice cream, right? So that they're no longer stuck in that place. Um, so what questions can I answer based off of that? Because I know I, I <laughs> like went a little bit deep with that. Um, and, and so much of this, like, yes, can be self-guided, but also I do think depending on what it is you're working with is much, much more easily done in a kind of facilitated way. Um, For sure. But 
it's beautiful. It's beautiful work. And I think the thing that often, um, the resistance that I find people often have to inner child work is the fear that it's going to be too much or too overwhelming and like take over. And then I'm going to feel all these really uncomfortable things and I'm going to feel all this pain that I'll be kind of stuck in that and totally valid, totally valid and understandable to have that resistance and that fear. Um, and when done in a safe guided facilitated way, the, aim is to have enough separation between yourself and this part of you that you're witnessing and sending compassion to and having curiosity around that it's it doesn't take over right it, it's there's enough space so that it feels safe to go where you need to go without it kind of like becoming too much completely yes it feels I like the word that you use safe mm-hmm. it's so powerful so you sound like a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful coach. And I would, I know so many people are going to be interested. How can they work with you? Where can people find you? Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, so people can find me on Instagram. It's really the only platform that I have the capacity or the energy to be on. So you can only find me on Instagram. Um, first name, last name. Yeah. At Talia Delju. And I've got a, a bunch of resources for those of you who are wanting to just familiarize yourselves with this kind of work. Um, going to my website or my little link in bio, there is a five day inner child challenge with daily prompts and questions to just help you connect and understand that part of you. Otherwise you can book a totally free call and we can just kind of hop on and, and see what's alive and what needs some loving um, on your life path. And we could drop into a coaching session, either standalone. I work with clients over three to four months. So it just depends what's going to serve you best, but lots of ways to connect and, and start getting into some of this good stuff. Oh, that's so fun. I, I think that stuff is so fun. Very cool. Talia. <laughs> that's yeah. so awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your wisdom. I feel like this was a really, it was a lighthearted conversation, but we got into some deep things and I think it will be very transformative and leave people with some things to reflect on. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. It really was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Lauren. I appreciate it.